Good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. Today's show is going to be part two of the integrated IT risk management issues, as well as I'm going to start you off with a, a tickler on identity theft via insecure credit APIs. So let's uh, tackle that one. What in the world is insecure credit APIs? So credit reporting, uh, Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, there are some uh, other companies also that do credit reporting, the typically known as the credit reporting bureaus. Now, these credit reporting bureaus, they have what's called application programming interfaces where they allow subscribers of their services to plug in or subscribe to data feeds from their resources, you know, via what's supposed to be secure methods. And there was a, an independent security researcher back in April who was uh, actually a sophomore at the Rochester Institute of Technology and discovered while he was shopping around for student loan vendors online, uh, was shopping and found that one of these lender sites offered to check his loan eligibility by entering his name, address, and date of birth. So like any good security researcher, he looked at the code behind the lookup page and was able to find that it invoked an API into Experian. And that capability literally allowed anybody who had that data, name, address, and date of birth, and I have to tell you that name, address, and date of birth is fairly easy to come by for, you know, just about everybody. So if you had name, address, and date of birth on just about anybody, you could go and uh, pull the FICO credit score for that person. And so this is obviously an opportunity for abuse and, uh, and violation. You know, clearly that kind of a thing uh, where any just random public person unauthenticated could pull that data. That is clearly a violation of the intent, if not the law, of how that data is supposed to be utilized or accessed. So the, the interesting thing, and, and I think that this story really struck me because it speaks to the fundamental underlying problem, why insecurity exists in the vast majority of organizations. And I'm not just saying businesses here, but organizations, you know, nonprofits, non-governmental organizations, government entities themselves, municipalities, etc. Why does insecurity exist at most organizations? And why is it that even massive organizations like Experian, who clearly cannot be claiming that they have a, a budgetary constraint that says that, oh, we can't do security properly because we have budgetary constraints. That's not exactly an intellectually honest argument. Okay, that's not the same as saying that uh, the, the local baker has 
uh, some challenges with advanced PCI compliance because of budgetary constraints. No, no, we're talking about Experian here, okay? <laughs> so what this security researcher found was that uh, he reached out and was trying to get Experian to secure their overall API methodology. He did not tell them about the company or the website where this breach existed. He was specifically trying to get Experian to clean up their act and to, instead of playing some little workaround game and then claim that they fixed the issue, he was trying to get them to overall look at the security or rather insecurity. So the lack of security around the APIs to be able to pull FICO scores. And unfortunately what Experian did, and this is again, I think exemplar of why security issues exist is that instead of Experian correcting their API security overall across the board. What they did is they just figured out through their logs uh, which organization, which one of their FICO API score partners had, uh, had an insecure access point. And so then they put that endpoint into, quote, maintenance mode. And that doesn't address any sort of systemic issues. So the reason that these problems exist in organizations is because of weak leadership. That's just, that's it. Bottom line. It's just weak leadership. And I really feel that the year 2021 from an IT security perspective should be exemplar for one thing. If people didn't learn, but one thing, from 2021, what they should have learned is that delegate and abdicate as a management strategy is dead. That is not a risk management strategy via any shape, size, or flavor. The days where you can, as an executive management team, delegate IT and risk management to internal IT managers, basically anyone who is not also executive level information security officer grade material. If you delegate to anyone other than that kind of level and then abdicate involvement, even if you delegate, you still can't abdicate involvement. That strategy is dead. This is literally now the sufficiency of the business. It's the ongoing concern of the organization. Executive management teams cannot abdicate their involvement anymore. So I'm not saying that you can't delegate. I am saying you can't abdicate your involvement anymore. So that also means that they have to make the time to listen when somebody is saying things like, you know, we really need to deal with this problem as a larger 
uh, systemic approach. You know, all that Experian needed to do is to say, you know, look, okay, we've addressed this one particular, you know, we did an audit, we addressed this one particular site where we think API abuse was occurring. Uh, However, uh, we are going to do a full audit of the rest of the things and we're going to get to the systemic issue bottom of this problem and verify that this can never occur again. That's not what they said, though. And why did they not say that? It's called weak leadership. Yeah, that's it. Now, strong leadership, strong leadership will say things like, you know, we're that our information security officer is in charge of this and the ISO will be, you know, putting out a statement about this. And, you know, we back the ISO 100% on what needs to be done in order to strategically address these issues going forward. Okay, excellent executive management teams will get their information security officer and their primary, you know, senior security architects involved way proactively, very, very, very proactively. Like any little thing comes up, it's these other people need to be getting involved. If you're an executive management leader and you're not getting input on even things that like small things, you think it may not actually be a big thing. But you need to avail yourself of the opportunity to be informed by their perspective because they know things you don't know. And, uh, and you know things they don't know. And so only together can the organization's leadership be making the most informed decision, and that is what needs to be happening going forward. So please, if you didn't learn anything from 2021 at all other than that, Please have that as your giant takeaway from that. And I think this leads us right into the whole integrated IT risk management part, you know, part two. Okay. So there was a a paper that came out by audit board and it was, it was so, so, you know, I'm going to give it like a, out of a, out of a one out of 10 score, it's a five. It's like a, eh. You know, it's a giant so-so. And the reason I say it's a so-so is because it's one of those, you know, high hand waving things where they're saying, well, you know, we surveyed these people and, you know, these were the results of the survey. And then we've got our little, you know, assessment analysis on it and so forth. And, and it just really, none of it goes into enough detail in order to really be, in my opinion, uh, adequately implementable or usable. So I'd like to inject some of my perspective on uh, on that particular paper from audit board and uh, really bring more light to the the topic and the, the Im- limitations of the things that they discussed in there. So, you know, so, you know, they're talking in this paper about, you know, integrated IT risk management and IT risk assessments being outlined against particular you know, security standards and so forth, like uh, a strategic risk assessment process. And it's informed by a, a variety of frameworks. And that has its own challenges. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm saying that it's incomplete. And whenever any organization is thinking about 
IT risk management. They need to be having a complete picture of IT risk management because the bad guys only need to be right one time and the, the good guys have to be right 100% of the time. Right, so it's percentage-wise and probability basis, it's, it's not in our favor as the defenders and protectors. So we have to have a complete as possible picture of IT risk management. So if we hang on to saying, oh, well, we're just going to use these like control frameworks. Please do sit down and go ahead and go through the control frameworks if you're trying to make your eyes bleed. One of the things that I think has been uh, rather fruitful is the team over at Audit Scripts did a consolidated controls framework, and they demonstrated with some crosswalks the overlaps and gaps. So a lot of the frameworks have a great deal of overlap with each other. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You just need to be aware of that. Where the real challenges come in are the gaps. So people can spend a lot of time saying, oh, gosh, we have to be compliant with all these frameworks. Let's go through these frameworks. But then that's that's all they do is they're just like trying to analyze everything against all of these disparate frameworks. What's important is you start first with first awareness that there is no such thing as a comprehensive controls framework. It doesn't exist. And the reason it doesn't exist is because there are nuances and uniquenesses and institutional customizations that are appropriate in every environment. And as a result, there's no such thing as a controls framework for a, like what, it, what is the appropriate BCDR strategy for your organization? <laughs> well, somebody would have to come up with an answer for that. They'd have to actually invent and design what is the best and comprehensive and appropriate BCDR strategy, business continuity and disaster recovery. What is that for your organization? You know, what's your retention policies? You know, what, how many backups do we think we need? Uh, what are our compliance requirements with regards to how many years of backups we need to retain? Uh, how far off-site is good enough? Do you need to send it to the other side of the continent? Or is off-site at another facility in your state adequate? Right? These are all business decisions. Absolutely all business decisions. So, you know, there's no NIST framework that says that, well, you know, your, your backups have to be on the other side of the, the state or the continent. Okay, no, that's not what the NIST control framework talks about when it's talking about best practices regarding offsite backups. Okay, so it's really key that you understand that there's not only are the frameworks, even in a consolidated fashion, not only do they have holes, there's gaps that exist in there. There's a great deal of interpretation, and they're also kind of old. And I'm not going to say old is bad, but, you know, like if you just look at some of the, the NIST uh, identify, respond uh, sort of things, one of the things that needs to be added, like that whole thing needs to be amended to keep the word preserve in there now. Because if you go talk to any forensic incident responder, what they're saying very clearly is that there are so many memory resident pieces of malware and nasties that if you don't have a methodology for preserving, 
you know, like this whole concept that says, whoa, what good grief, we got a problem with a computer, shut it down, take it off the network. Well, take it off the network does not mean, and uh, there's some problems with this concept that says just pull the network cable out of the back of the computer. And I'm not saying that that's totally wrong. I'm saying that there's some challenges with it. It's way better if you can do a digital host isolation approach on it, because that will still allow you to interact from a forensic incident response perspective with that system. Uh, the network layer security policies for that endpoint, as well as your endpoint protection, must facilitate that, and it must all be pre-programmed and ready to rock and roll. Furthermore, you better have a managed detection and response service that has that as their duty and that they contractually have full authority without delay. No need to be calling somebody to be asking for permission about whether or not we can do host isolation. Okay, you've got to have that all ready to go. So this is one of the reasons why I rail on and on and on about why outsourcing MDR is challenging. I'm not saying it's, it's impossible or that it's bad or wrong or whatever, but you really seriously need to be taking a hard look at what is the scope of service that that MDR team is going to do for you? What level of intimate knowledge do they have regarding the end systems? And then contractually, what are they authorized to do? So when we do MDR services for clients, it's in the contract that says, I have full authority to decide exclusively and unilaterally to host isolate all, some, or one of your systems if that is what I see is the appropriate course of action with regards to a response to what I think may be a security event. So it can't be a situation where you've outsourced to a SOC. The SOC sees some stuff, they investigate it. They don't have the contextual awareness about, oh, well, that that's Sally's computer and, whoa, Sally's the CFO. And, uh, you know, that is some data leaking to Czechoslovakia and Sally does not do business with Czechoslovakia, right? So the SOC is not necessarily going to have that kind of data because the vast majority of organizations do not have the kind of budget to have a full UEBA uh, sort of system in place because even the baselines for those are anywhere from $40,000 to $100,000 per year. Well, I mean, that those dollar amounts right there are generally exceeding the entire IT budget of most of the SMB market out there. So they're clearly not going to be spending $40,000 a year just on a SOC or a UEBA service. So anyway, so they outsource to some SOC. The SOC goes and calls somebody, and then somebody has to actually make a decision. And so who's actually in charge here? Who actually has the responsibility to do host isolation and how much time has occurred? So, you know, this is not something that is just, um, it's not just a standard. It, it, this is, these are new problems. And I don't see where the majority of the IT services industry is thinking deeply and hard about these problems. I still continue to see people outsourcing to SOCs and uh, they're not taking, they're not dealing with this, you know, host isolation thing. Anyway, so I tangented on that. I apologize. 
but it's it's this issue of the frameworks, right? The NIST frameworks, other frameworks, they exist, and uh, and they can get out of date over time. And so, like that one NIST framework specification should be including the word and action preserve, and it does not at this point in time. And it needs to have preserve in there because anytime you're doing forensic incident response, you have to have a preservation of the uh, system and the state as it was. Uh, And you can't do that if your approach is, I'm just going to shut down the systems, right? That is technically deemed destruction of evidence. So when you're talking about doing uh, IT risk management, this is now so far above the pay grade of the vast majority of people that work in the IT services industry that if you don't have by contract uh, an information security officer, and please just don't go and get somebody that has, you know, they've got a certification. Okay. Like, I'm sorry, that just doesn't cut the mustard. If they've been, if you have a conversation with them and you ask them, okay, are you still fixing PCs? Are you still, doing cloud management? Are you still fixing servers? Are you still fixing networks? Right. And if they say, if they say that they're not doing any of that stuff, then um, move on. Okay. Move on. Cause I can tell you that I've encountered a lot of people that have certifications who think that they are then above doing that kind of work. And they're like, Oh, you know what? I've graduated beyond doing that kind of work. And the reality is they no longer have the technical chops to actually engineer the solutions to the problems. So you can't be an information security officer if you have no idea how to architect, engineer, implement, budget, promote, and project manage all the way to the end solution. So if you're searching for somebody to be an ISO for your organization, please just do not go get somebody that has some certifications and like, oh yeah, I've been doing, you know, compliance for the last 10 years or whatever. That person is not the right person to solve the problems because they are not, they don't have the, the technical ability to actually do everything that is required to be an, an ISO. Uh, and there are people out there that have, you know, they have those certifications, but they just have decided that they're not going to have the technical chops anymore because they have just, you know, graduated beyond that. You know, those types of things are beneath them. So be very careful about that. Uh, on this whole topic of integrated IT risk management, we're also needing to touch on GRCs, governance, risk management, and compliance platforms. And in this paper that was uh, done by Audit Board, they said that 32% of their respondents said they would benefit most from a GRC solution that could help them develop a common risk and control framework and integrate it with existing solutions. (laughs) Yep, that's right. I actually, I totally agree with that. The problem is that no such product even exists that does that. There isn't one whatsoever. There's a ton of GRCs on the market that are just total flaming piles of junk. Most of them cost $600 per month or more, and that is just the product that doesn't even include anyone to manage the solution or anything like that. It's just, it's ridiculous. 
Like, I don't know why they think their stuff is so worth that much money because it's not. And I have yet to actually see a GRC that has all of the control frameworks in there. And there's no tie-ins to, uh, you know, okay, we're going to continually be ingesting data. And there's a company uh, called Cytomi who is actually working on trying to come up with a system that does this. Um, with regards to risk management, but they're not really, that product is not a, a GRC where it has the capacity to have document retention repositories for the proof attestation of uh, configurations. You know, like if you're going to put on a cybersecurity insurance form that says, yes, we are consistently patching within, you know, 30 days of the patches release. Well, you can say that all you want, but if you don't have non-administrator tamperable, okay, nobody can tamper with it. If you do not have non-tamperable attestation reports, produced by the patch management solution, utilizing full automation into a document repository with automatic retention. And it needs to have functionality on there that if there isn't a new report by a specific date, then it's going to alarm to someone. Furthermore, it needs to have capabilities to look for certain keywords on the inside of the report and then also alarm and do some other things based upon that. So the level of intelligence that you need to have in your document retention platform is, is pretty intense. And to this date, I'm not aware of, and I spent two and a half years looking into products and I just finally got tired of it and started kind of building my own. But to my knowledge, there is no product that has exactly what Audit Board has captured as the articulable problem that 32% of survey respondents also say is the problem. That all organizations need a platform like a GRC that helps them to develop a common risk and control framework and integrating it with the existing solutions. That means their existing patch, their existing penetration testing system, etc. And that it needs to be able to unify everything, create a common risk scoring system, and it needs to be able to pull in data from all of these different things like, you know, the RMMs, the uh, inventory agents on endpoints, you know, Office 365, you know, tons of different sources. It needs to be able to pull data in and dynamically, regularly ingest that, no human intervention required, and then alter the risk score dynamically over time as the state of the organization changes it needs to give give us you know scores charts and graphs there needs to be something like a fico score on it like you know 850 you are the awesome you know or 200 not good okay not good you need improvement there and that all of this has to exist inside of a a common framework and I feel like the reason why there's no company that has that at this point in time is because there's no company out there that is in the process of building software 
who has someone like myself as, you know, their full-time, you know, ISO advisor that says, this is what you need the platform to do. And uh, it's, it's not an easy endeavor. There are tons of products like, you know, VCIO toolbox, for example, or, um, you know, there are audit, audit for IT is another example. I mean, these, these products are just disconnected, expensive point solutions and it's all cloudy, cloud, cloud, cloud. And if you, you know, stop paying, you know, you put all this investment into it where you got to customize it. So it's not, it just doesn't have the level of automation that's required. And you're just throwing massive amounts of manpower at it. And then you have to extract the data out. And I mean, it just, it's, it's the wrong paradigm. And the thing I found really interesting about this audit board um, report was that, you know, here, 32% of respondents to this, to their survey about integrated IT risk management, they all had the same opinion as I do. You know, they've all come to the same conclusion that we cannot continue to just throw massive amounts of manpower at this. So, so in summary, you know, this is why IT risk management is not being done well at most organizations. It's because it's ridiculously hard and there's no automation tools that really help with it. So please, if you don't yet have an information security officer as part of your organization, uh, give me a call and at least let me you know, give you some advice about how you might find an ISO that's the right fit for your organization.